0: Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. My guest today is the journalist James Nestor, author of the fascinating, mega best selling book, Breath The New Science of a Lost Art. I woke up at 2 a.m. last night drenched in sweat, throwing bedding off of me. Every pet was also on top of me, which probably didn't help. Many nights I have the opposite problem, where I'm hunting in the hall closet for extra blankets in the wee hours because I'm freezing. In part, this is because my husband and I have wildly different sleep temperature preferences and I'm cold because he's left all the sliding doors in our house wide open. But there's actually a solution I've come to learn. And I'm all about a sleep solution because we know how important good uninterrupted sleep is for every facet of health. Have you heard about ChiliPad by sleep Me? It's a bed cooling system designed to revolutionize the way you sleep naturally The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. You can also choose a different setting than your partner, so you each get what you need. What I want? a cool mattress with piles of blankets on top. ChiliPad, believes sleeping at the optimal temperature helps people naturally reach their highest potential physically and mentally. Visit www.sleep.me thread to get your ChiliPad and save up to $315 with code THREAD. This offer is available exclusively for Pulling the Thread listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleepme.com/thread because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in, and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct
1: look at how we've convoluted and complicated the most simple things look at nutrition now how many supplements are we supposed to take how many grams of fat am i supposed to eat and then grams of carbs and then how many grams of sugar is tolerable it's insane that we've managed because i think a lot of people don't believe stuff unless it sounds scientific or it's extremely complicated but nature isn't that complicated like why do all of these cultures the few that are around now indigenous cultures they don't have high blood pressure they don't have heart disease they don't have diabetes they don't have anxiety they don't have panic they have all have straight teeth they don't also have any big pharma they don't have dentists they don't need any of this stuff because they are living in an environment in which humans naturally evolved you and i are not. We're living in an environment that is so different. And it's no coincidence that the more we integrate back into nature, the better we get.
0: So says the brilliant and endlessly entertaining James Nestor, author of Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. While breath is a mega bestseller across the globe, it's also an award-winning work of science reporting, stringing together seemingly disparate streams of thought and science into a treatise on one of the most significant impacts on our health, the way we learn to breathe. Yep, breathe. James makes the case that our tendency toward mouth breathing works against our very nature, distorting our faces and jaws, ramping our anxiety, and weakening our immune response, simply because our noses are designed to filter the world on our behalf. I loved our long-ranging conversation, and it was wonderful to be in James's company again. Okay, let's get to our chat. Well, I'm excited to talk to you again. The last time I spoke to you was either before or as your book was coming into the world, and I still see it in every airport in America. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I've seen it in a few airports. It's always a little surreal. I don't see anyone reading it in airports, but I assume they're just reading on Kindle, right? That's a safe assumption.
0: Or listening to it in the audio version. (laughs)
1: You know what? I didn't think about that. Thanks for comforting me. My insecurity.
0: I guess that's the moment when you know you have not made as a writer, when you are sitting next to someone on a plane who's reading your book. Is that the sign that you're waiting for?
1: You know, it's happened to me once, and I was so curious if this person, you know, was enjoying it or learning anything. But then I thought, what if they really hated it? That would really ruin my day. So, you know, sometimes it's best just to leave nature its own course. That's it. I, I can't imagine that people just lug around hardcovers though. I mean it's it's enviable and and respectful that you're lugging around this two pound hardcover thing when you could just have it on your phone. So I think that's a trend that's starting to to come back up. I guess people want other people to see what they're reading, which is fine. <laughs> just just be careful about your book choices though.
0: Yeah. I read physical books. I'm a weirdo. I just there's something about the well one I I know I'm, I take notes, but two I just I am already on my phone so much that I appreciate the opportunity to put it down.
1: I completely agree with you. I'm a big fan of ink on paper, but when I'm traveling, right, I'm a big fan of not having a bunch of crap in my man purse. So I, <laughs> I have never traveled with a with a hardcover. But maybe after this conversation, it's time to do that.
0: It's time. I'll pick a good one. Yeah, It'll increase your VOT max.
1: Didn't know that. Okay. (laughs) I'll I'll let you know what it is in a month or two.
0: Can't wait for it to make it into your next book. But really, I mean, it's funny because breath belongs to all of us, right? And then as you, I think you, the the statistic that you offered is that 90% of us are breathing incorrectly. Do you think that that percentage has gone down since breath was published?
1: (laughs) I'd love to say that, that I was responsible for changing the breathing habits of humans around the world. Of course, that's not the case. I think what we can really attribute the awareness to breathing to is this little thing called COVID, which came out exactly at the same time that my book released within a couple weeks. And I think that made people, once you lose the ability to breathe, you're like, oh my God, maybe this thing, breathing is is kind of important. Maybe I should pay attention to it. And I think that's what has stirred all the interest in breathing and breathing health.
0: That's a, obviously a great point. Everyone I know tapes their mouths shut, which I still can't bring myself to do because of you And your book and that health intervention in my family, I have an ALF appliance expander for my palate that I sleep with every night. My son has an ALF appliance expander in his mouth, top and bottom. So I can't really get my, it's too big for me to mouth tape, but maybe that's next for me, James.
1: (laughs) I, by right, you are expanding your airway and you're not a chronic mouth breather, then I don't see a a reason to use sleep tape. I don't think everyone needs to use sleep tape. So I think if if you, if you breathe through your mouth at night, it's something you might want to consider. But if you are not a mouth breather at night, why would you use tape? You don't need it. I'm talking to the, you know, 65% of the population that are mouth breathers at night. I found it to be incredibly beneficial. It's the one thing I've heard more than anything else about the book. I mean, thousands and thousands of people everywhere. I, every time I, I do a speaking gig, people come up to me. It's like, oh, that mouth tape has really changed my life. So for a lot of people, it's great. For some people, it doesn't do anything. And for yeah. those who, who don't need it, why why would you use it?
0: Yeah, I probably do need it. I just can't. I, mm-hmm. I just can't handle all of these interventions at the same time. <laughs> it's <just> yeah. Too,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just too much stuff. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Get ready. You know, once your expansion is over, then you can kind of figure out whether or not you need it. I, I will say, when I was doing that palatal expansion for for the book and for my airway health, I really needed it because it, mm-hmm. it this even opened my mouth up even more than it was open before. So I found it to be very beneficial. But man, is it a pain in the butt to put that thing in your mouth and then put tape on your mouth. I mean, you just imagine if. There's a fire or something. You go to try to call nine one one. You've got a little little work to do. You know, but
0: it's it's very sexy. I've I've learned from my husband, mm-hmm. my nightly rituals. You know, I
1: think in some bondage circles it might be. We could check in about that. I have not heard of such circles, but I guarantee you they're out there.
0: <laughs> Just a little myotape, Alpha Pliance circle. No, I, but I, I just I am really grateful to you for your guidance during that period because I think maybe right before I had spoken interviewed you, I had interviewed Rafael Paleo, who's at the Stanford Sleep Institute. And we were talking about my oldest son, and I was explaining his restless leg syndrome and some of his attention issues and he and other things that were going on, migraines, and he was like, He you need to have him tested for a sleep disorder. And we've started on a long, I realized he has a tight tongue, he has a tiny palate, his jaw is out of place. I mean, all of this stuff probably seems obvious, but it's kind of not often when you're a parent. He he was diagnosed with multiple sleep disorders, although I think really they're just a function of his, the mouth, what's happening with his mouth. And so now, I mean, it's pretty dramatic. We're still mid-process, but... It's been an incredible intervention for him and for his sleep and his ability to focus. And similarly for me with my migraine disorder and my palate, when my dentist puts his hands in my mouth to expand my palate, it immediately drops me into parasympathetic. The first time he did it, I almost cried from relief. It's interesting how much anxiety I think can be held in the mouth and how much better I feel the wider my palate gets.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting about all this is people may say, Oh, it's some placebo effect or whatever, but this is basic biology. If you're struggling to breathe, struggling to do anything 20,000 times a day, 25,000 times a day, what's going to happen to your body? What's going to happen to your anxiety levels and your stress levels? So to me, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's binary. Yeah. And what you experienced is just you, and so much of the population has a smaller palate, has a smaller airway, probably has airway issues, just just like everyone else I know. So by yeah. <laughs> a, opening up your palate and opening up your your airway, you're going to breathe easier, and obviously that's going to relax you. So I, I think that this is such common sense that everyone can can acknowledge that you know the in that sequence of events. At the end of it, you will be better, and which is exactly what happens. I can't tell you how many hundreds of case studies I've seen from dentists like Raphael <laughs> and Kevin Boyd, and who are just like, this is before and after sleep apnea, no sleep apnea, anxiety, no anxiety, ADHD, bedwetting at the age 12, and none of that afterwards. Because so oftentimes, a lot of those things are, are sleep issues and they're airway issues.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. And it's what happens when you're not looking at Max's. The way that his sleep disorder showed up it's not that he's an incredibly heavy sleeper it's that he doesn't get into a proper rem cycle he's so disturbed throughout the night that he's not he's not rem cycling it was a really interesting experience to see the effects of that
1: yeah i just think that it's it's absolutely so odd and quite depressing that you've had to learn this yourself by doing your own investigations and that no other doctors were, were looking at his breathing or my breathing or anyone else's breathing. You know, yeah. they're, they're so easy to prescribe things without knowing the core issue. And so often, not all the time, but so often it's related to sleep disordered breathing. And, it, you know, if anything happens in the next few years, I hope that this is something that will be better acknowledged and, and better treated because so many kids are suffering from this and they have no idea why they're suffering from so many other symptoms.
0: No, totally. And as you write, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about orthodontia and sort of the traditional practice, which is pulling teeth, right? And how instead of expanding the jaw, we're making our mouths even smaller and that the expansion was seen as quackery, right? Or just odd or quackery.
1: Well, what's, what's interesting about that is, yeah, and I've gotten some pushback from Dennis who called me a quack but what's interesting is the very first orthodontics before we were putting people in braces and extracting teeth was expansion this is what was done in the 1860s this is what Mm -hmm. was done for decades and decades and decades and one thing i learned from dental historians is that it was only until the 1940s where so many people had crooked teeth they needed to find a production line way of fixing people's teeth without completely ignoring the airway, right? How do we fix a bunch of people's teeth? How do we make their teeth straight? And braces and extractions work really good to make your teeth straight at the cost of your face and at the cost of your airway. And this is would have been so controversial 20 years ago when people were saying, it, and they were, dentists were saying this. And now I, I have a strange work life. I speak at a lot of dental conferences and I always <laughs> expect people to come up and completely eviscerate me afterwards and I'm ready for that I have my research it just isn't happening so Mm -hmm. I think that they've known this a long time and they needed someone who wasn't a dentist to tell them this which is which is odd because I have no license they can revoke right I'm an (laughs) author so I can say whatever I want what I'm saying is based on all of the facts that I found over several years
0: Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started. So it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever. Let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug, like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas. Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets. They also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly – They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day... Treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code thread at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop down menu that follows so they know that we sent you. In the book, too, you trace the roots of this, right? So, and the fact that through a number of circumstances, we are mouse. This is, when you look at more ancient skulls, you don't see this crowding and crookedness, right? So can you sort of take us through the evolutions in modern life that have netted us this result?
1: Sure. So this is a little depressing, but there's a happy ending. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> So what happened was when we, all of our ancestors, ancient ancestors had stray teeth, okay? All of them. And we never needed to have wisdom teeth extracted. Could you imagine a species that needed to extract their wisdom teeth at 17 or 18 years of age? It just never happened. That's not how we were designed. Only until around 300, 400 years ago, depending on where you were, were we starting to see these wide incidences of crooked teeth. And those incidences of crooked teeth came right in line with the introduction of industrial foods. So you could see it within a single generation, 50% of a population would have crooked teeth from having perfectly straight teeth to crooked teeth. Two generations later, about 70% of the population, three generations later, about 85% of, of the population. Four generations later, you know, look around. That's us. It's 90 plus percent of the population. So this is not some harebrained hypothesis. It's been proven out for decades and decades and decades. They've done pig studies. They've looked at humans in the same family and in the same village and in the same counties who had introduced, who had been introduced to industrialized food versus those who were eating their traditional diets. And the same story played out every single place. So it has nothing to do with genetics. When people say, oh, my teeth are crooked because it's, you know, a genetic predisposition. It's garbage. It has to do with the fact that we changed our diet to very soft foods. And that's, that's it. That's the reality. You can argue anything else you want around this, but it's, it's not true. This is what I'm telling you is what has been clearly documented. A whole book's written about it.
0: So, yeah, we just stopped gnawing on things essentially, like working those masseter jaws and
1: Yeah, and that's that's essentially, you know, minerals, vitamins do make a difference if you don't have enough vitamin D, right? Your bones grow grow very soft. Same with K2, you need that as well, but nothing is more powerful than the masticatory stress, especially early in life. So it starts right in infancy. You can look at kids who have been Breastfed versus those who have been bottle fed, they will grow different profiles and people, the kids who have been bottle fed will have a higher incidence of snoring and sleep apnea later on in life. I get ridiculed every time I talk about breastfeeding and bottle feeding. I want to be super clear. I'm not judging anyone for anything, right? (laughs) I know how difficult it is to live in the modern world. So there's zero judgment here. I'm just offering up facts that I learned from experts in the field and after weaning for breastfeeding it's essential to go on to chewing regular foods our ancestors did not eat gerbers they didn't eat processed carrots or, or applesauce they ate meat they ate hard foods and so there's a whole movement called baby led weaning which is just about weaning kids onto regular hard foods and all that masticatory stress builds proper muscles, it builds proper bones, it builds proper airway. I did not get any of that growing up. So I am like many people in my generation where I was just, you know, bottle fed and then I was just weaned onto soft foods and then I ate soft foods basically for, for up, up until now until I <laughs> discovered this stuff. Even healthy foods are soft. So just very little chewing.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. And You talk about, I think you're talking about, maybe it was Plains Indians, how those mothers, those parents would would actively, there was just, it was known as like a, was it more of an immune response or can you tell us a little bit about the defensiveness, the defensive nature of breathing through the nose and why indigenous tribes, how they intuitively understood that and would close mouths of kids to teach them to breathe through their noses?
1: So we know so little about what Native American cultures were like pre-contact because nobody was really going out there. Or if they were going out there, they were going out to trade. They weren't going out to record any of the culture, any of the habits, what they did to heal themselves. But George Catlin did, and he traveled more miles than Lewis and Clark, and he went all around to 50 different Native American cultures, and he found that they all had straight teeth right? They all had these big, wide pronathic faces. Many of them were seven feet tall. They were the tallest cultures ever to have been found on earth as Mm -hmm. Native Americans. And they understood and acknowledged and appreciated breathing as a medicine. This was not something they did flippantly. And they taught everyone to breathe from the moment they were born. So infants were, were trained to nasal breathe. They were even put on boards so that it would be very hard to mouth breathe at night. And they believed that this allowed them to grow this very handsome or or structured profile. It also allowed them to breathe better. And we can't prove that. There will never be a randomized control trial of putting babies on boards versus not putting babies on boards. But we can look at the skeletal record and find these people had gorgeous teeth, they had huge airways, huge sinus cavities. And from that, we can infer that they had significantly fewer breathing respiratory issues than we deal with today.
0: And can you talk a little bit about the protective nature of the nasal passages in terms of when we breathe through our noses, how that can be protective or not? I'm not sure where the science is, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's basic biology. If you were just to look at a cross section of a human skull, what you would see is that if you take a breath in through your mouth, there's nothing in the way of that breath, right? So this unprocessed, unconditioned, unfiltered air just goes directly into our lungs. That's how long it takes to take a huge breath of air. But if you were to breathe through the nose, takes a longer time it takes much more effort and that is because you're forcing that air through all of these different structures these different turbinates past all this cilia which are these little hair-like articles in our noses that grab onto allergens and dust and breathing through the nose helps protect our bodies against bacteria against viruses and more so it's not only the structures and all of those tissues it is also the fact that we release six times more nitric oxide when we breathe through the nose, and that nitric oxide helps kill viruses and bacteria. So it's our nose is a way of purifying the air around us, just the same way a Brita would purify the water from, from a tap. Our nose does the same thing. And so especially in this time where there's so many viruses and so much bacteria and so many allergens and smog and pollution around the fact that you wouldn't be breathing primarily through your nose is is kind of crazy because it's really our first line of defense
0: yeah and then you talk a fair amount about our tendency besides sort of that gasping that open mouth sort of like which i am very definitely guilty of but this over breathing and i'm a chronic hyperventilator too but this this lack of a full exhale and how common is it do you think that most of us are sort of above capacity or holding too much breath in our lungs without fully exercising the circle
1: it's hard to tell on that if you look at chronic hyperventilation i've seen Stats from 20% of the population to significantly fewer than that. So we don't really know. So few people study this. If you look at the inability to get a full exhale and how many people are breathing dysfunctionally in that regard, I think it's the vast majority of the population. You know, I I stated that 90% of us are suffering from some sort of respiratory dysfunction. I say that at the beginning of the book. I've, I've learned that it, it is probably closer to 95% of us. It is so rare that somebody <laughs> breathes normally. And this is, that's, that's the one correction that, that a lot of scientists wanted me to make. They're, they're just like, you were being way too soft on humanity. So we're, we're all thoroughly messed up, whether or not we snore, have asthma, have chronic sinusitis, mouth, breathe. But this, this thing about this inefficient breathing is something that affects basically everyone. You, you could think that athletes, you're like, oh, these are the most fit people in the world. They know how to breathe. No, they know how to push through the pain. But many of them are severely dysfunctional breathers. I know this because I know many elite coaches who work with Olympians and Navy SEALs and UFC fighters. And they said these people, their breathing is a disaster. So an exercise that you can do, breathing in is easy, right? you just breathe in but so many of us will just continue breathing especially when we're stressed packing air on top of air on top of air which is not efficient so if we want to get a really efficient breath of air we have to first exhale all that stale air and in order to do that we have to lift that diaphragm up so a lot of us are conditioned to have that diaphragm in this down position and just pack in air but the real key, and the yogis knew this, and the ancient Chinese knew this, was to learn how to truly relax and deflate and to let that air out. And it takes a long time to get this, get this trick. And there's many different exercises you can do to practice this. But it's essential for efficient breathing.
0: Yeah. And that's to really, really focus on that exhale until you're truly empty, right? To the point where you are you call it a sub-whisper.
1: This is one <laughs> trick that a breathing therapist, who's actually a choral conductor that went and rehabbed emphysemics who were left for dead, hundreds and hundreds of them. No one knew what to do with these guys. They were laid out on gurneys, uh, fed a steady diet of antibiotics, and pumped full of oxygen. But this guy went in, Carl Stau, and taught them how to exhale. That's, that's his intervention. That was his prescription. Learn how to exhale, and then you will learn how to inhale and you will breathe properly. So, an exercise he had them do was to take in a breath through the nose and to count from one to 10 as fast as they could one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, nine, 10, one, two, three, four, five. And when they were out of breath, to keep going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, 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 nine. and then to sub whisper happy you brought up that word <laughs> until you're completely out of breath. So don't overdo it. Okay. So many of us, when we learn something new, we want to overdo it and do this a million times. You have to slowly acclimate that muscle, that diaphragm into that position. But I found that practice is really, really useful. There's some other Tao practices. There's some yoga practices that really help you exhale as well. And those are beneficial too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for people who don't, because it's been interesting, I've had this conversation with so many friends who don't understand that what they are doing is actually chronic hyperventilation because we think of hyperventilation and we think of breathing into a bag and being in a panic attack. But chronic hyperventilation, which I do, which I can do for months at a time, every afternoon, particularly when I'm sleep deprived and or stressed, is overbreathing it's this, right? So it's, But it's a mix-up in my brain and it's a mix-up between the brain and the body where I think I don't have enough oxygen because I can no longer take a deep breath because my lungs are oversaturated. And so anyone who has experienced this where you hit that point where you're like, I can't breathe. And then it obviously triggers you to breathe more. And then you're yawning to get deep breaths. I think it's actually quite common i think you said 20 percent. just when i've friends have sort of complained to me and i'm like oh you know what that is and they're like no i have no idea what that is i just think i'm dying
1: it's very common and it's very very similar (laughs) i'm happy you're laughing about i wasn't but it's very similar to panic panic attacks i really think that the best thing that you can do is just to really train yourself to to nasal breathe as often as you can And until it becomes an unconscious habit, then you don't have to think about it because your mouth is just closed all the time. It's helpful, it was helpful for me at the beginning to put a little piece of tape on my mouth while I was sitting in front of a computer at work and to just leave it there just so I could train myself to breathe through my nose. Another thing that's helpful is to, once you acknowledge that feeling is coming on, to take control of it and to force yourself to breathe more slowly five seconds in, five seconds out is a good one. That physiological sigh, which is two breaths in and then just let it out and do about five rounds of those to reset your respiration. And I think that once you become aware of it, you can then intervene and help to fix it. Another thing, if you notice that this is coming on at the same time of day is to set timers on your phone every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, every half an hour, whatever you want. And just when that one ring comes off, it's like, okay, I'm gonna check in on my breathing right now. Am I breathing through my mouth? Am I breathing too much? And I'm just gonna reset. Take a couple breaths in and just relax. That's gonna reset your respiration. So you can start with that. This doesn't work for everybody, but there are no negative side effects of this. It's only gonna <laughs> help you. It might help a little bit, or it might help significantly to help reset that hyperventilation. What yeah. you were talking about is what so many other people talk about. It's this chemoreceptive sensitivity to CO2. And the more tolerant you get of slow breathing, the more CO2, the calmer you will get. And this is where all the science and breathing, not all of it, but a lot of it is heading right now, is this tolerance for CO2, which is why breath-holding activities are very, very helpful for chronic Mm. hyperventilation and panic.
0: High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Talk about CO2 because wasn't it common like I don't know if they still use it but wasn't it a common intervention on fire trucks etc like this is old right mm-hmm. having a tank of CO2
1: so CO2 is that that trigger to breathe right now if you were to exhale and you just wait and you feel that need to breathe building up that is not dictated by oxygen It has nothing to do with the lack of oxygen in your body. It's dictated by an increase of carbon dioxide. So when that increase of carbon dioxide hits a certain level, it triggers that need to breathe. But what happens is when people are over-breathing so much, that trigger, that CO2 trigger goes lower and lower and lower. The threshold gets so low that even holding your breath for five seconds, 10 seconds at a time, people have chronic hyperventilation or panic. They go, (sighs) because they're so sensitive to CO2. It has nothing to do with oxygen, which is why I would suggest people who have chronic hyperventilation syndrome or panic to get a pulse oximeter. Don't believe me. Believe the data coming off of your finger and you will see your oxygen levels are just fine. What you're doing is responding <laughs> to that rising level of CO2. So scientists knew this more than a hundred years ago. They use CO2, a combination of CO2 and oxygen. It's extremely effective for hyperventilation. It was effective for asthma, effective for stroke, smoke, inhalation, and more. They also started using it for anxiety and panic. And what they did is they would give people this big dose of CO2, which mimicked a very long breath hold. So if you hold your Mm -hmm. breath for a very long time, your CO2 levels are going to go way up, right? A lot of people don't want to do that. So they would just put on a gas mask and shoot them up with CO2, make them inhale this big bolus of CO2, which would Mm -hmm. allow that threshold of CO2 to rise up a little more. It's like, you know, endurance training. It's like weightlifting. And lo and behold, this was so effective for anxiety and panic. And now it's coming back. (laughs) The NIH is funding new studies in CO2 therapy, and it's been working wonderfully because of course it is, because we already knew this. If you don't want to inhale CO2, you can, breath holding is such a powerful thing. Especially so what, for people.
0: Yeah. What will be the application of, of CO two? Like an inhaler of CO two or
1: you can get they're doing that right now. They are it's not an inhaler. You have to go down to the lab and then you take this big bolus, this big inhale of CO two, and usually do that one or two times, and then you leave. And people say, My God, their anxiety is over. Not wow. not for everyone, but it's according to some scientists, it works better than any other intervention, period because where the science is leading us right now is several researchers believe that anxiety panic these are not mental conditions it's a physiological problem tied to chemoreceptor sensitivity and -hmm. if this is true it's going to explain why ssris really don't work that good for anxiety and panic why so many of these other tranquilizers don't seem to do much because they're affecting the wrong thing The thing we need to be looking at is CO2, and this is also why breath holding is part of every ancient breathing system that there is. From ancient Chinese Qigong, to pranayama, to ancient yoga systems, all across the world people were focusing on holding their breath.
0: Right. and. Was it Rama, the story of Rama and just sort of the ability to affect the autonomic nervous system? And can you talk a little bit about, I mean, that's what's so amazing. And obviously, people have heard about monks who can raise their body temperature, however many degrees sort of spontaneously, our ability to control these things that we think are beyond our control has been shown. But can you tell tell us about Rama and what he was able to do?
1: sure so none of us will ever get to this level of, of breathing fitness i actually don't know if anyone on the planet will anymore since the advent of cell phones and computers and, and facebook and all the rest but this is when people were able to study for for decades in, in a cave alone study the process of breathing and meditation and one person who really was good at it was swami rama And this is somebody who grew up in the Himalayas, you know, was meditating at the age of four, did his time in a cave alone, I think it was five years, and then went out and showed the world what he could do. Because a lot of scientists said this is complete garbage. But he was able, in a lab setting with a Navy physicist measuring everything on his body, he was able to change the temperature in his hand 11 degrees from One side of the hand to the other so he took conscious control of his blood vessels Mm -hmm. And he could make one side of his hand gray and the other very very red and rosy with fresh blood He was able to trigger his heart rate to beat at 300 beats per minute That's three zero zero with under his conscious control He was able to turn that on and turn it off According to some reports, he was able to move a metal needle across the room that was on a compass hand. Crazy stuff, but you can read the, the reports yourself. This was published, this was big news back in the 70s, right? It was published in the New York Times Magazine. So it was all, all verified, and yet Swami Rama came and went, and people still think this stuff is impossible. So he was not only able to take control of his nervous system, but he was able to take control of other Processes and systems within his body to do impossible things. It turns out that we can all take control of our nervous systems This was supposed (laughs) to be impossible, but we can do it with this thing called breathing and This isn't some some big claim. It's this is science and this is what was discovered about six years ago With studies with Wim Hof we can take control of aspects of our immune function and our nervous system by breathing
0: Yeah I love Wim Hof. his his one for the ages, too. And for people who don't know his work, it's primarily cold cold exposure therapy. But the stuff that he has subjected himself to, the work that he's done in the lab fighting off viruses is amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, they shot him up with uh, the endotoxin version of E. coli. He breathed himself to a state where he suffered no symptoms. And then people said, well, you're just weird. He said, okay, give me any group of people. I'll show them to do the same thing. He spent four days with this group of people, randomly controlled trial, right? Totally randomized. And every single one of that was in his group was able to breathe this way and fight off the symptoms of E. coli, the endotoxin version of E. coli. All of the controls suffered from severe symptoms, vomiting, headaches, sweating. So he just proved that anyone with, with a gumption can do this. And the great thing is you don't need to sign up for some four-week course, you know, to learn this. It's available to everyone everywhere. It's free. It's cold exposure is free. You can take a cold <laughs> shower for basically free. You can learn how to breathe this he calls it Wim Hof method. It's a thousand year old technique called Tumo. You can learn how to do that for free. You just have to want to do it and put in the time. And from <laughs> what I see a lot a lot of people in our You know, society don't want to do it, which is fine. There's no blame game here, but it's available to you.
0: I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy, not only because I live in a 1500 square foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. In short, I want to use everything I buy. In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product content. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique beetleton oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed-release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18-plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy— The results, it increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female-founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash thread for 25% off. Why do you think that people like Rama can come and demonstrate or or whim or a lot of these interventions? And it's good to, to know that CO2 is potentially back, but is it just because it's so much hard, it's so much easier to give someone something to take than it is to train people to live a little differently so what is it
1: i i think so and because all the a lot of these things i'm talking about a lot of people just aren't going to do them right and and again i'm not blaming anyone but for for some of these more intensive things it's how do you keep someone inspired to do this stuff this is what doctors they're not responsible for that, but they wanna help people out. So prescriptions work, like pills really work. They're great band-aids for, for a lot yeah. of chronic conditions, but they're not dealing with the core issue. So what I try to do in my work is say, hey, you know, this isn't the only thing you can do. You can continue taking pills and, and they work great. But I think people should have a choice. Mm-hmm. At least when a patient comes in, you have a choice. It's like, hey, your blood pressure's up. You can drastically change your diet and exercise, or you can take the pills. Both of them work. You can also try breathing. That works as well. When someone comes in with anxiety or panic, you know, here are the two things that you can do. There's there's a choice. How many people will take that other choice that requires a lot more effort? I don't know. Probably not that many, but they should at least be given that knowledge in order mm-hmm. to choose the path they want to take to heal themselves.
0: Yeah. No, and it's funny too that and my dad's actually a pulmonologist, but this idea that you want you want a doctor. I mean, I think we can all relate to this. Like you want some sort of complicated explanation for what's happening to you. You want like you want in some ways complexity, right? So going feeling terrible, going to a doctor and having them tell you to engage in proper breathing is dissatisfying, I think, for a lot of us, right? Even though it's a blessing in its own way. But there's, I don't know, I think that there's part of us that that seeks complex answers to problems that feel complex to us. And so it's somehow maybe disappointing to be told, drink more water, learn how to breathe, eat whole foods. Yeah, you're
1: you're hundred 100% <laughs> right. I mean, look at how we've convoluted and complicated the most simple things. Look at nutrition now. How many supplements are we supposed to take? How many grams of fat am I supposed to eat? And then grams of carbs. And then how many grams of sugar is tolerable? It's insane that we've managed. Because I think a lot of people don't believe stuff unless it sounds scientific or it's extremely complicated. But nature isn't that complicated like why do all of these cultures the few that are around now indigenous cultures they don't have high blood pressure they don't have heart disease they don't have diabetes they don't have anxiety they don't have panic they have all have straight teeth they don't also have any big pharma they don't have dentists they don't need any of this stuff because they are living in an environment in which humans naturally evolved you and i are not we're living right. in an environment that is so different and it's no coincidence that the more we integrate back into nature the better we get whether or not that's eating natural whole foods whether that's walking ten thousand steps a day which is about the average that indigenous populations walk whether that's we start breathing through our nose which is what we were designed to do all of these things it's, it's very Very simple, we've created these diseases, they're diseases of civilization, and when we remove all of these layers of civilization from us, our body enters a state of healing. So breathing ties into that, diet ties into that, exercise ties into it.
0: I know that you don't have a tape preference, or you used to not have a stated preference. Do you now have a preference on which tape people should use? And then I would would say myotape is helpful For those, if you feel like you're going to have a panic response to taping your mouth shut because it just sort of binds the corners and lets you theoretically open your lips. (laughs) But it's
1: expensive. So I don't care what tape people use. All I will say is that don't use duct tape. Don't use scotch tape. (laughs) Don't use masking tape. Those are bad. I know they're probably around the house in the garage. Do not use those. Don't go on YouTube. There's just complete garbage on YouTube about this. What I have found, what works for me, I'm not saying this is gonna work for everybody, but after going through about 30 different types of tape, I found that surgical micropore tape, which you can get at Walgreens or on Amazon or at your local indie pharmacy, this is tape that is made to be put on skin and taken off. So it has a very mild adhesive. I take a little piece of that and then I remove even more of the adhesive and I put it on my lips. The point with this tape is it's supposed to be able to come right off very easily without any effort. So if you are struggling to get the tape off, you're doing this all wrong. And if you want to use myotape, which as you explained, is a tape that goes around the mouth, not over it. It works great for some people. Kids love it. Parents love it because they don't want to put tape on their kid's mouth. That works great too. So a lot of this is experimentation I have no preference because everyone's different and everyone mm-hmm. has different things that, that they like or don't like about certain tapes
0: yeah in the years I guess two years two and a half years but obviously you wrote this book in advance of when it came out et cetera. what has evolved or changed or what have you learned on the road as you've been talking about this book for a long time
1: well, the first thing is something I mentioned a little bit, that we are going through a huge tidal shift in dentistry right now. So all the stuff that you and I had to weather, braces, all the headgear, that will not be around in 10 years. I am convinced of it. It's happening. It's happening now. It's been happening for a long time, but now the the tide has finally turned and it's because parents are coming in. They're like, I don't want my kid's mouth smaller. I don't want to extract teeth. I don't want to ruin their profile. And dentists listen to that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's one thing that this thing has, this concept has gone from being way on the outside to it's starting to become mainstream. Like half the talks I do, I do a lot of talks, are at dental conferences, ADA dental conferences. It's, it's bizarre. Beyond that, I think the other thing is awareness around sleep disorder breathing, especially for kids. And I get these letters almost every day. I was getting 10, 20 of them every single day of people saying, my kid has been sick for a decade. My kid has been sick for five years. No one has ever even mentioned breathing they go in, they convince the kid to become a nasal breather, their sleep improves, their conditions are reduced or sometimes disappear completely. I get these all, all the time. And these parents, they're happy for their kid, but they're also so completely pissed off that they had yeah. to read this in a book and not give this advice elsewhere. So that's another thing I see a lot of awareness around sleep disorder breathing, not only for kids, but for adults as well. And I think that that's so, so positive. And I guess the, the last thing is did not predict this. And I, again, I think this had very little to do with my book and much more to do with the general awareness around breathing is there's all these studios now that are just breathing studios, right? And they have cold <laughs> exposure as well. There's many in L.A. and San Diego where people come in and do this very intense breathing they used to just call that yoga, but but now it's called you know breath awareness. But it's all it's all all the same thing. I think it's great, you know, if people are getting something out of that. I've certainly get so much out of that that I, I think that generally it's this this awareness that breathing is not only important to health, but it can also help with athletic performance. It can help reach uh, heightened mental states, it can help put you to sleep, all of these other things.
0: Are you so tired of talking about people's breathing?
1: You know, sometimes I am. But every time <laughs> I get going, I'd be honest with you. Every time I get going, I get a little more activated. I think I've gotten a little activated during this during our interview here because I I'm passionate about the subject. I learned a lot researching the book, but it's mostly from hearing stories of people over and over and over again, the same stories that really puts a little skip in my step and makes me want to keep going. That's not to say, you know, in two years from now, I'm going to still be talking about this stuff. Hopefully the word will be out and I'm working on a new book anyway. So I'm sort of going from one world to the other, but I still get pumped up about it. There's still so much to learn. I'm learning as I'm going along and people are teaching me and that's just a, a wonderful thing.
0: Well, James makes me laugh, and I am, as mentioned, incredibly grateful to him both for the book and also for his guidance as I've navigated through this. And it's nothing that you can't already find in the book, ultimately, but working through my own breathing issues, my migraines, my palate, um, and helping Max as well—he, his book was an essential guide, and. As we also mentioned, Raphael at Stanford, when I had first spoken to him and sort of explained what was happening, I feel like he said effectively that he thinks in time that most ADHD will be connected back to sleep, which is a pretty profound idea, particularly if the intervention is through helping everyone breathe better. And throughout breath, There's tons of amazing storytelling and really interesting historical examples of people who have done pretty incredible things simply by changing the way that they breathe. Highly, highly recommend. And it also has, there's lots of interventions in there as well, as long as well as experts that you can go to, like the Buteyko breathing method. All right, I'll see you next time.